welcome back to Mon Men. I am Yanata Blue here once again with Michael Darling, as always. And this week we're joined by Jerry Maravia. Jerry, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Uh, before we dive in, this time I'll remember to actually ask: Can you tell <laughs> us a little bit about your experience with Pokemon? Uh, so I'm played Pokemon the way back in the original version of it in middle school. I had Pokemon Blue. Uh, I was really obsessed with that game. Do you uh, remember who your starter was? Yes, I picked Charmander because nice. I'm a uh, nihilist and <laughs> yeah. wanted to make things as hard as possible. I didn't know I was picking a hard one. I thought I thought they were going to give me Pikachu because I'd also watched the cartoon. And that was like the transition point. So I was like, who are these three? I'm going to pick the dinosaur-looking <laughs> guy, of course. And then... It was just, it took me like a month to beat Brock in that first gym. And then once I finally did it, I was like, all right, clear sailing from here. And then it was Misty was next. And it was just (laughs) so sad. And then I got all the way up to the end. And I remember I got in a fight with my friend on the playground. And his reaction was he pulled the (gasps) blue uh, cartridge out of my Game Boy while it was still on. And it erased my game completely, and I had to start all over. So I ended up playing, but I loved the game so much, I went through and played it in in the in its entirety. Uh, and that's with Charmander again. Yes, I was. I was. This is me. We're talking about like I had to be a purist and be like, no, I got to recreate the struggles. <laughs> Only it took me. Uh, it took a lot less time for me to defeat Brock and Misty because I decided to like train up like my uh, Pidgeotto and stuff. And, nice. like, so I do have to point out that this means I'm not as much of a unicorn as we've previously established because Jerry also had the blue cartridge with the water cannon tortoise on the front but chose the fire boy so mm-hmm. apparently i that made me weird but now i have my unicorn and i'm gonna root for my unicorn buddy here <laughs> in a game of mon mom jerry would you like to play yes let's do all it all right so to remind listeners and to initiate those who might be new to this podcast mon mom is a game where i send my mom a picture of one of the pokemon that we're going to be discussing today and today we'll be going through the execute family the cubone family the Hitmonlee and Hitmonchan duo, and Lickitung. So my mom has seen one of these pictures. She's going to describe the Pokemon, and she's going to give it a name. Gentlemen, are you ready? Yeah. Yep. Uh, Baloo, what's the scoreboard look like, by the way? The scoreboard looks very dismal for our third chair. It is currently <laughs> 10 to 4, but we have, I think, wow. I need to do the math on this. Um, I don't know if we have enough episodes for guest hosts to currently close up the gap before we finish off the Gen 1 set. But still, I have I have belief and the faith. magic number is shrinking. Mm-hmm. There's some sort of like uh, like ploy to make your guests immediately vulnerable. <laughs> Pretty much. So, so actually, we favor guests and how we structure it. But let's hear what my mom has to say this week first. This Pokemon looks like a crazy eye baby Dino. I will name it Dynamite. Okay, so we give our guests a opportunity to play defensively and copy Michael's guess. So, Michael, you enter your guess first. So, to be clear, she's naming it Dynamite, like J.J. Walker. Like Dynamite! Yes. Thank you. Thank you for that clarification. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, crazy-eyed baby Dino. I'm going to go out on a limb here and think that she is referencing the beloved 1990s Jim Henson company-produced ABC TGIF sitcom Dinosaurs, and the baby dinosaur. Gotta love it. And she's talking about Lickitung. That's what I'm saying. Lickitung. Lickitung. All right. Jerry, your guess? 
Well, she said crazy-eyed, right? And mm-hmm. I'm trying to... I mean, it's been a long time, so I'm trying to think of going back to my Game Boy instruction manual for Pokemon Blue, and I think <laughs> I'm going to... I think I might go with Marowak, to be honest. Ladies and gentlemen, one of the few times this has happened, <gasps> the gap closes thanks what? to Jerry yes! Maravilla. Oh my god, it's so crazy. Like this flashback moment where I could just see him like Holy giving you a mean eye in the instruction manual. Yeah. And- <laughs> Holy crap. I was worried. So I like the crazy eye description she gave it because Cubone, and we'll talk a little bit about this, the whole crying thing I thought might have misled somebody into thinking crazy eye, crying eye. Mm-hmm. Um, but Wait, no, so it was Marowak. It is Marowak. Wow. So she went with Marowak. Be- it, she did it with Marowak because Marowak just looks angry and like that diving classic pose uh. that it does. We'll get to Marowak. First, we have to start off with Execute, which has been one of the more baffling existential terrors that we've been looking down the pipe to for a long time now. If um, this is one of the most baffling, we got some stuff coming up in the next three. So. Oh, yeah. So All bring right. it on. Let's start off this run. Execute is a grass and psychic type that you first encounter in the Safari Zone. And so before we get into anything about the Pokemon, I'd like to discuss the Safari Zone a little bit. Go for it. That's a region in the Kanto region where you have to pay 500 Poke Dollars to get, like, what, 20 Pokeballs, and you can only take, I think, what, 500 steps or something before they bring you back. So I just love that as a grift. Because <laughs> like, you could throw the Pokeballs, and the Pokemon would break out. Like, you could yeah. walk away from the Safari Zone oh, with no that's Pokemon. Right. Yeah, it's a total carny shenanigans yeah. from South Park thing. Get the, the ring over the bottle that it won't yeah. fit. Yeah. yeah. I just want to believe that... Um, that this is what inspired one of my favorite Hannibal Burris jokes, <laughs> where he talks about wanting to uh, be able to beat up an animal before he eats it. <laughs> and this is coming from the vegetarian, but he says, like, you're telling me you wouldn't want to be able to put, like, a 20-hit combo on a penguin and then eat it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because your options in the Safari Zone were throw ball. Like, you couldn't fight it. It was just you versus the Pokemon. You could, like, throw the ball, throw dirt, or throw food. Oh, no, not... Or throw rocks at it. Yeah, I was about to say, rocks. did the rocks do any kind of damage? Oh, it was like, the rocks didn't do damage, but the rocks made... There's some weird, like, mathematical factor that they had in play. Like, the food made it less likely to run, but made it harder to catch, whereas the rocks made it more likely to run, but easier to catch. Yeah, I didn't fuck with the f- Safari Zone. Yeah, I didn't I saw the layout of the land, and I was like, nah. So <laughs> you have seems to get like... through there at least once to get Surf, which is insane. Did I get um, all? Maybe I think I think I got all 150, but I they reached a certain point where they had like the Game Boy Link. And oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I just like swooped somebody else who decided to deal with that BS. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I did the whole thing with a friend one afternoon where we just like traded Pokemon back and forth. Like he would just give it to me so it would enter into my Pokedex and would give it right back. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And so we just had that. We just game the system that way. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Um, but execute. So execute's only found in the Safari Zone, is what you're saying. Yeah. Like, and it's not. This is the first of the Safari Zone exclusive Pokemon we will encounter. Yeah, and it's a grass type, which a grass psychic type. Sorry. Um, which it's a weird mix. Yeah, yeah. So it turns out it's not an egg, despite the pun in the name. It's actually a bunch of seeds, which I guess seeds are plant eggs. I mean, they never refer to it as seeds in any of the Pokedex entries, but it feels more like seeds based on the grass typing, based on the fact that it turns into a coconut tree. Yeah. (laughs) Well, one of the eggs clearly has yolk inside. Yeah, that's what makes (laughs) it weird. Is it like a half dozen? How many eggs we're talking about? I can vaguely remember. Seven of them? Seven? Not even a right arrangement of eggs here. (laughs) Execute is blue, if you would 
prepare the rim shot, mm-hmm. it is an egg plant. <laughs> yeah, you're getting one of those. You're getting, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, it just but, didn't seem exciting to me as a kid. When I went through and I was like looking at all the Pokemon, like that was one of the ones I knew that I just immediately would graze over. I'm like, <laughs> I don't have any excitement about playing eggs. I mean, uh, we talked we talked about this with like the Magneton thing, where like a Magneton is just three Magnemite put together, and this is just like literally six eggs put yeah. together, six seeds put together. Yeah, which doesn't really make sense because you can separate them. So that was that was going to be my big question, and as I got it answered almost as soon as I started reading the lore about this Pokemon. There's no actual, like, true link. They can reassemble very quickly because of a telepathic link, but it's not like they they can't survive separated. Like, you could pick up one of the eggs, and it'd be like that episode of Seinfeld where the dog ran all the way back from, like, Long Island. <laughs> <laughs> but are they supposed to be intimidating? Like, as far as we get from the image, like, sometimes when, like, you have, like, less aggressive-looking Pokemon. They try to, like, make them cute, but it felt like with Execute, they were trying to, like, this. Th- these are some hard-ass eggs. Yeah, you know? And they're hard-boiled. Like, <laughs> oh. <laughs> You're getting another one for that. <laughs> um, uh, I need uh, my... You're saying the yolk's on me? Yeah. Uh, oh. <laughs> Was it a 90s thing to be scared of eggs? Because I'm also, like, recalling that Goosebumps book, Egg Monsters from Mars, which was... I don't know if you guys have had that imagery, but it was, like, a bunch of eggs oh, that I were, like, the pouring over on the counter. But I didn't find that one particularly scary either. So maybe there's people out there who are definitely have a phobia of eggs that I'm just not aware of. I think that was about the time we all learned that eggs were high in cholesterol. And <laughs> remember... Remember how Homer Simpson yeah, was yeah. like, the Eggs Council creeps have gotten to you, too. Yeah, yeah, maybe. maybe Wait, that's are there... I know these were, like, a big... I feel like these were a big thing when we were in middle school, and I probably... It may just be, like, lack of exposure, because I'm... Exposure? I need... Can, I can this do is this an, I know this is an I'm audio really... podcast, but there's got to be a way to insert a bunch of these ground, um, frowning Marge images. I usually, <laughs> I usually put a link to a GIF for uh, our uh, guest host reaction, so I will yeah, make sure yeah. a frowning Marge GIF Thank is you. in there for you, but... um. But I remember, I feel like our childhood, maybe like 20, 25 years ago, was like the heyday for those kinds of mass-produced, like, factory-line young adult series, like mm. Goosebumps, mm. like Animorphs. Like well, Animorphs all is all one author. Yeah, so it was I mean, Goosebumps. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's true. R.L. Stein. But yeah. I, the, uh, the word on the playground was he had ghostwriters, and that kind of broke me a little bit, yeah. but <laughs> it makes sense. I know Animorphs was the one person, but... I wouldn't be surprised if Goosebumps, maybe there were a few, like, Ghost Riders in there. And there was also Bone Chillers, which was, like, these knockoff Goosebumps. I got deep into that realm. Oh, so so (laughs) Animorphs Animorphs is one of my favorite things to to bring up because that series above all other young adult series, like, it was a continuous saga, unlike a bunch of others, but it also ended in the bleakest possible fashion. Like, spoilers for a 20-some-odd-year-old young adult series. What, it ended? It's not still yeah, ongoing? It ended. No, it ended. Oh, okay. it ended. Um, so, spoilers for a 20-some-odd-year-old series that you probably have to, like, buy on eBay for some exorbitant amount <laughs> of money. Um, but the Animorphs series, because I actually stuck through it, that's why that's why I would find, like, the resurgence of, like, the transformation memes on mm-hmm. Twitter so hilarious. <laughs> um, but the aliens win. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Wait, really? Really? Yeah, the aliens actually won, I think. Holy like, fuck. So there's a time jump, like, like in the fifth to last book. So the last five books of the series are about coming back from the brink of defeat. It's very Final Fantasy VI, mm. um, where basically the Yurks, a.k.a. Kefka, if you want to do the Final Fantasy parallel, 
destroy the world, take over the world, and I think a bunch of them died. Jake dies, who's like the main leader. Oh, yeah, he's the. I I remember Jake because I read like two of those books. (laughs) Yeah, I think the only person who makes it to the end, the only two people who make it to the end, are Marco and Rachel. Um, but I think pretty much everybody else dies, and it's like a super bleak, like dystopic, like eventual ending. Axe, the uh, last remaining, like. So what is the like? What's the overall thematic intent of the Animorph series? Give me a moment. I'm pulling this up because Kay Applegate wrote a final letter to the fans about (laughs) it. F off. (laughs) Yeah. Well, no, no, it's amazing. Uh, Hang on. If while you're looking that up, what if? You want a film version of what I think happened behind the scenes there? I think <laughs> young adult starring uh, Charlize Theron is probably a good representation of what happened back there. Because, like, if you've never seen Young Adult, Charlize Theron plays a ghostwriter for a Young Adult series. It's not an Animorph sci-fi style series, but she finds out the series is being brought to a close, so she's allowed to write one more book to write it, wrap it all up. Mm, and she just goes through a complete midlife crisis as a result of her career, kind of. Yeah running down Patton Oswalt it's a great is... movie Patton Oswalt's mm. great in it oh he's yeah. brilliant in it so she wrote this long I think she I'll double check that Kay Applegate is a woman I was right yay she wrote this long note about the ending which I'm not going to read all of it but the key paragraph that I've seen before is so you don't like the way our little fictional war came out you don't like Rachel dead and Tobias shattered and Jake guilt ridden you don't like that one war simply led to another fine pretty soon you'll all be of voting age and of draft age so when someone proposes a war, remember that even the most necessary wars, even the rare wars where the lines of good and evil are clear and clean, and with a lot of people dead, a lot of people crippled, and a lot of orphans, widows, and grieving parents. If you're mad at me because that's what you have to take away from Animorphs too bad, I couldn't have written it any other way, and remember and remaining true to the respect I have always felt for Animorphs readers. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I would love show. to see George Lucas close out Star Wars with that kind of message. <laughs> yeah, but, but, go ahead, but go ahead and make your two Goosebumps movies. <laughs> there, laugh a minute, allegedly. God, somebody in Hollywood is listening to this, and I think I just got like a chill down my yes, spine. Yes, Anne Hathaway. Are... Yeah. Hey, Anne, how you doing? I I've, been good, I've been very good to Anne since we started that feud. <laughs> Back in the I feel like there's some episode. context here that I'm missing out on. But... Oh, Blue compared Anne Hathaway to a bug Pokemon. Oh. To a Paris, specifically. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Uh, the other one I remember from those days was the Bailey School Kids. Do you remember this mm-hmm. one? Bailey School no, Kids? No, I don't. This one was like a bunch a bunch of kids who went to Bailey School, well, obviously. But the premise was in each one, they thought that one of their teachers or other person who was on staff at the school was some kind of monster. Like the first book is called Vampires Don't Wear Polka Dots because... They think that their teacher is a vampire. Mm-hmm. And so, like, it straddles the line, like, every book where it's like, well, we're going to strongly imply all of this, but there's always some logical explanation. I hate that bullshit. <laughs> mm. It was very weird. Like, Encyclop- yeah. well, was it Encyclopedia Brown was another, like, young adult series of mm-hmm. uh, some kid who was, like, Sherlock Holmes, who was yeah. trying to solve mysteries in some way. Yeah, but that didn't have, like, supernatural hinting. No, that. no. There was, like, all these different camps, because I think it started even earlier, because my mom would talk about how she read, like, The Hardy Boys and stuff which was oh a yeah different era those and nancy drew were both yeah like, and nancy drew by the same company and then those like kind of i felt like in the yeah. 90s there was that huge resurgence they had goosebumps you had animorphs you mm-hmm. had babysitter's club was that even before 
I think that's like 80s. 80s. Okay. It was around when we were in I just remember school. the boys and girls in my third grade class like feuding over what was like in our reading time. All the boys had copies of Goosebumps and all hmm. the girls had Babysitter's The Boxcar yeah. Children. That's another Oh, one. that Boxcar Children. Those are the thing like yeah. the first 20 were written by the same person and then yeah. afterwards it was just ghost written. But R.L. Stein even had other things. There was uh, Fear Street and then he had his like singular. Like He was pumping out so much content. So his Fear Street writers. series, I remember being like, even as a young kid, I remember being able to like spot like, oh, this is an attempt to retain his readership that's now maturing. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. it was like supposed to be the more grown up, like actually scary version. They were like, more violent. Yeah. I remember reading one called, I think it was like Hide and Shriek. And like somebody actually drew blood, and I was like, "Oh, wow. oh, damn! We're we're in a whole new world here." <laughs> I mean, as a writer myself, respect to R.L. Stein being able to churn out like what, like fifty thousand words a month. Like, holy uh, crap, that is some work ethic. I remember back when I was at the LA Times Magazine, and we were working on the noir issue. They were looking for a list of upcoming mystery novels, mm-hmm. and I saw James Harrison had like three books coming up in the next calendar year, and one of my editors just goes, "How does he do that?" Who does that for him? <laughs> I mean, there are always two approaches to supernatural elements in a story. Like, what you described with the whole, like, logical explanation for everything. And then, like, the other one being, like, like let's just dive in and say that this shit is real. Yeah. yeah. Like, at least from what I remember of the Bailey School kids, they always played for laughs in terms of the, like, oh, well, maybe it's a vampire. Maybe she just has an allergy to garlic. Mm-hmm. Scooby-Doo. <laughs> <laughs> They never went on either side, is what I'm saying. And like Scooby, where it's like, oh, Scooby, this was just someone in a mask. Always. Because that's always how it is. Well, except in the movies. (laughs) What about when Scooby-Doo meets Kiss? (laughs) (laughs) See, in the movies and the longer feature like type of of things, the ghosts were sometimes real. Or they at least ran that line, which, of all things, makes me think of uh, what I think is actually an underrated movie in hindsight, Gothica. I rewatched it recently because it was on Netflix. It's the Halle Berry flick, right? Yeah, the Halle Berry movie where it's like, until the very last scene, which I think they should just release a director's cut that removes the last 10 seconds of the movie. um, (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of like the rat and departed. (laughs) (laughs) You could could launch a Kickstarter for that one. Where, like, the entire movie, there's, like, this a brilliant, like, parallel where you're asking, where you can totally have it go either way. Where it's either supernatural stuff is leading her to uncover the truth about her husband being this, like, serial rapist murderer. Or it's actually ghosts that are doing it. Mm. Um, until the last scene. Where right, I just want to point out, you said either supernatural stuff is leading her to it, or it's ghosts. Oh, sorry. I meant, you don't uh, get to edit that out. <laughs> um, I can live with it. Um but yeah, no, that I thought that but that is a very like underrated movie in my opinion. I haven't seen it. I'll have to check it out. There's a lot of I feel like in some ways I have certain blind spots for horror in the late nineties to like mid aughts just because my parents were pretty strict on mm-hmm. me watching horror films and in terms of my like horror rediscovery of going back, that kind of era is not really looked upon very fondly within the horror community outside of it started to get into the torture porn kind of stuff yeah, right yeah. you had like the saw and hostels and stuff and that's not as interesting to me as the 80s and, and or even like early 90s up until like say uh, scream well so i think the movie's very interesting as a character study and i think it even may be a movie before its time because mm. the way it deals with gender and power dynamics is subtly brilliant and I don't know if you want... Are you one of those people that are sensitive to spoilers for a 10-year-old movie? First off, I think the best sell I can make on it is that it has a pre-return-to-fame Robert Downey Jr. 
So this oh, is pre-Iron oh, Man. Huh. But then also, yeah, it does e- deal with gender and sexuality in some very interesting ways. You know, her husband, like just the first scene with them and his power dynamic with her. It's one of those things that like, if you're not watching with a sensitivity towards like knowing that ma- male power dynamics over women and abuse of women is going to be a major theme. You could just very casually say, like, oh, he's helping her figure out this psychological case. And then you realize, no, he's absolutely gaslighting her. Uh. Um, and it's one of those things about just how subtle it can be when you can see, when you see somebody who is, as an adult, consenting to being so emotionally manipulated. But it has been emotionally manipulated into consenting into being gaslit. Mm. And that's how that very often works. So it's a tremendous movie. I think it's aged better than it had any right to. Um, Do you know it, who wrote or who directed it? I can't remember off the top no. of my head. Um, but anyway, recommendation for you guys. Look up Gothica. Right. I mean, um, I'm always in, in the mood for new horror stuff to watch. And while we're talking about horror things that kind of spread genres, I can loop us back to the Pokemon finally by saying that we've <laughs> yes, kind of been on this go. run Here's... of psychic types that have each represented different elements of kind of psychic natures. So we had the uh, Abra line that represented like kind of Yuri Geller type mind-bending telepathy and telekinesis. Legally not, though, because what? Yuri Geller sued over Kadabra. Really? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Because yeah. it held spoons. And um, it's... Did <laughs> I mean, he win? Also, well... The weird thing is, like, in looking up this case, there's never been any clarification. Although, Kadabra has been, like, conspicuously missing from any Pokemon merchandise and anime so it, and, tea and uh, like, the trading card game for a while. So, it was settled out of court, is yeah, what you're saying. Maybe. Like, Kadabra still gets to appear in the games, but otherwise... Yeah, so we started off with the telepathic telekinesis. We then got into these Dream Eater Pokemon of Hypno and Drowsy. And now we're in this interesting kind of like collective hive mind space where we have like multiple heads that are working together to provide psychic abilities. Mm. Where like if you, you know, the whole, and I think that's kind of based on like that you only use 10% of your brain. So if you could use 100% of your brain, you would become Bradley Cooper from Limitless. Or uh-huh. Lucy from Lucy. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, I don't like Bradley Cooper. Oh. Let me just clarify that one of my favorite jokes I've ever heard about Bradley Cooper. Um, here's my next celebrity feud. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm with you on that one, though. Is, Cheers. Um, somebody once said that Bradley Cooper looks like the guy who quit varsity football to star in his like high school musical, and <laughs> looks like he expected everybody to kiss his ass for it. <laughs> uh, that tracks. Just on that topic, Jeremy Renner has a music career now, or at least he's trying, and uh, it is exactly what you think it sounds like when I say the phrase. Jeremy Renner is trying for a music career. I really hope that Marvel stipulated that he couldn't release that album until after Endgame yeah. was out. <laughs> so he still had like the Hawkeye, like semi-hawk, the like faux hawk. From God, no, he's got like a normal guy haircut. He's very much doing middle-aged divorced dad. Is he wearing an Affliction t-shirt? <laughs> <laughs> it's just, you know. No, he's got no fear. He's old school. Oh, oh okay. All right. I, I, yeah. I probably had a couple of no fear shirts in the 90s. But you know what doesn't have fear? Execute. Which... I believe you were talking about uh, how we've been going through some weird psychic types, Baloo. So, yeah, so I just, you know, I mean, I hit what I wanted to hit on that, which is that it uh, has this interesting hive mind. Um, The other thing I want to point out, though, is, uh, well, we've been having some pretty lame shinies for the most part. Today, we actually have some pretty cool ones. Oh, yeah. Um, And although I will say that I feel like gold for Execute doesn't really track, I like it when, like, the... um, when the rock Pokemon or rock and ground Pokemon kind of take on these ore colorations. So like, you know, we talked about the Geodude line, their shinies are mm. gold, bronze, and uh, silver, respectively. 
you know, they take on these kinds of like metallic color, alternate yeah. metallic colorations. For execute to be gold, though, I kind of wish it was like. And this is not my mon mod, so I'm gonna just say this right now. I kind of wish like the shiny were, you know, take it from the pink shell coloration to like a different type of like floral coloration. Like make it kind of like a lowland muck, where a lowland muck huh. has kind of like that toxic oil spill thing. Give it like a floral kind of like pattern, maybe. See, I was thinking more like keeping in the idea of eggs, make it more like a brown egg kind of thing. Uh, organic but, eggs, yeah. And it would yeah. just look like poo. Well, light brown. <laughs> You've seen eggs, burnt chicken I've nuggets. I've seen poo too. I have a dog. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, that's your only me. experience with poo. <laughs> <laughs> I don't look. I don't look when I go to the bathroom. <laughs> Blue almost revealed he doesn't poo. Uh, so what's interesting though about the shiny execute is uh, is that there's a trainer that you battle in Sun and Moon who has a shiny execute. And if you beat him, you get six gold nuggets, which are a lot of money in the Pokemon games. So I think that's a nice little gag that they threw in. Also, okay. probably like one of the few times you encounter a shiny from an opponent, I think. But how does that happen? Is that like a different number on the Pokedex? This is like post my Pokemon career, or is it like how did he get this this one gold? Did he like spray paint it gold? <laughs> he? Well, he might have, but shiny Pokemon are a naturally occurring phenomenon. Where Pokemon will have a different coloration. Mm. It's kind of like the equivalent of albinism in yeah. natural species. I was going to use a comparison of like holograms in trading card packs, but sure, if you want to see that. I mean, that's yeah. the game, that's the <laughs> yeah, game yeah. representation. I'm talking, we're talking about it from like a world and lore yeah. perspective. But, but uh, I mean, like, they don't have anything different compared to other Pokemon aside from their coloration, basically. Ah, okay. So, like, Shiny Gyarados is red and is terrifying. So it's not like someone like tricks out their Pokemon like they would like a car that would be or something. Dope if you could mod your Pokemon. <laughs> but that goes into that weird line of like, are these living creatures or are they property? <laughs> there is a poodle Pokemon in way in Gen Six and X and Y uh, that you can go to a very specific shop in one of the towns because Gen Six takes place in what's basically France. Uh, so you can go and get haircuts for this poodle Pokemon so that it has like one of like I want to say a half dozen different styles. I mean, GTA San Andreas did it, like, 10 years ago, and you had, like, what, 20 different hairstyles you could have back then? Well, you can mm. customize your avatar as well, but, I mean, like, this is a Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would really like, based on what you said, Michael, for Christopher Guest to direct a Pokemon movie. Just oh thinking about God. Best in Show. Uh, <laughs> 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 so I have that kind of movie about Pokemon trainers. Uh, I'm surprised that hasn't been an uh, Christopher Guest. Yet. Yeah, I know. Or even a YouTube video. Somebody out there, there's your free idea. Yeah, <laughs> comedy <laughs> writers are not the kinds of nerds we thought they were. <laughs> uh, but let's move on to Executor. Um, my thoughts on this are very short and simple. <laughs> this is this one's interesting because in most of the games it'll evolve into Grass and Psychic like Execute, but in Gen Seven in Alola it'll evolve into Grass slash Dragon. What? Yeah, yeah, it's a Grass Dragon. Let me show you. Alolan. Are we talking about the same coconut-looking? Yeah. So, <laughs> and so, just like they have like appearance variations, I'll let Michael bring it up in the meantime while I'm describing it for the listeners who haven't seen it. But it goes from looking essentially like a uh, a stumpy palm tree, a stumpy palm tree to like a straight up palm tree, palm tree, like what you expect. So, like it has like this goofy, long ass giraffe neck <laughs> and three coconut heads. At the True top to of the neck. as your description. And more importantly, one coconut head on the tail. 
Oh yeah, I always forget I about that. I feel bad detail. for that head. <laughs> yeah, this was the first Alolan variation revealed back like a year and a half ago when Alo when Sun and Moon. Oh no, more than that. Ago. 2016. Oh yeah, there you go. Yeah, so three years ago at this point. Gosh. Um, but like, yeah, the grass dragon thing is just kind of a weird. I mean, it's a, it's an unexpected element, like a typing duo, but yeah, double weak to ice, right? But otherwise, uh, pretty yeah. groovy. Yeah, mm. I mean, it's an interesting typing, but uh, but yeah, I the one thing I've always liked about the original executor design, and this is like due to things much later on, but it has a very where the wild things are feel to it, with its like kind of chunky body, it's like heads action. Unlike the execute that kind of looks like it's trying to grip you in a game of three card Monty, like <laughs> fucking executor looks like he wants to take you like on a fun adventure in the jungle. Yeah, that's true. I'd yeah. be less horrified existentially if I ran into yeah. Executor. This is a rare case where the base form has more attitude than the evolved form. Like the evolved form is all cute and cuddly and goofy. Yeah, and this is why that song from the Where the Wild Things Are movie trailer has been playing behind this the entire time. Oh, oh, I see. I need to revisit that movie. I wasn't a huge fan when I first saw it, but... Hmm. Uh, I just really love the trailer. <laughs> <laughs> it is an amazing trailer. What's hilarious is that if you encounter an Alolan Executor in Pokemon Go, its entire neck takes up the screen, so you can't <laughs> see its head until it attacks. Oh, wow. So And then it just bends its head down at you. It's so silly. It's so, so their stupid. heads look like coconuts, but are they like working coconuts in any capacity? Is there any sort of like maybe that's do from people like feed. order lattes with executor milk? Oh, and I hadn't thought of the heads as coconuts, but now that I am, given my Caribbean heritage that I reference almost every episode. I may have to revise my Mon Appetit mm. on the fly. Well, but. I think mm. in multiple Pokedexes, they say that if one of the heads falls off, it just goes and forms a new Execute. I do like the Shiny a whole lot, because I think that unlike other Shinies where they just do like a straight up like palette wash for whatever reason, like this one actually took like some cool like things. Like, Darling, you pointed out the coloration. Uh, gold with red leaves is just such a cool like autumnal oh, yeah. take. Mm -hmm. Whereas like nearly every, every other grass type we see that has a Shiny is just like, oh, hey, we're just going to wash the color over it like a Photoshop filter. But this one actually took some like cool design touches and like kind of made it like just the autumn version of mm. the grass type of the tree that it is which we never see autumnal palm trees but yeah um this is true but yeah. so it kind of makes me wonder darling if you happen to know off the top of your head it's uh that's great but um that one tree pokemon it like looks like it's got like three balls for like fingers or whatever oh pseudo wudo that yeah, pseudo wudo well that one is actually based on petrified wood because it's a rock type oh okay yeah yeah it looks like a goddamn tree. I was wondering if the balls on like, its hand. I wonder. I was wondering if the balls on its hand turn red or like an autumnal huh. color for a shiny. I don't know. know. Like I don't have the shinies memorized. Uh, fun fact about this one is the favorite Pokemon of Pokemon Company CEO. Uh, That's Sunikazu wild to me. Ishihara. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Like, Out of all of the Pokemon, like I think this is another one on the on. When I was going through like the book of Pokemon, I skipped right over this one. I was like, I'm not gonna send a coconut into battle. <laughs> like, <laughs> like you, one, you, you got dinosaurs and dragons. <laughs> like, I feel like could you catch an Executor in the wild? I think maybe later on, but not in the original games. I'll double check that. Or did but, you ever fight one? Because I mean, I, I mean, he's at least in the deck, but like he didn't yeah. pull. You know, there's I certain think, ones as a kid you go through. I think through, your rival had one. Oh, I think. okay. Mm. 
I thought it was weird because my name's Jerry with a G, and then my rival was Gary. It was like one letter or <laughs> a few letters yeah. removed. <laughs> yeah, but this is another stone evolution. It's actually surprising me as we've been going through the show just how many evolutions in uh, Gen 1 required stones, actually, now that we're looking back on it. Because right. we had like two grass types that required uh, stone evolutions to get to their third evolution type. Um, we've run into a number of Pokemon. Hey, I make that leaf stone... Uh, worth something. And Leafstone was probably like the most heavily required of them all. But anyway, design situations about the economy of Pokemon aside. Uh, to answer the question, Exec- Executor has never been available in the wild until Gen 7 when the palm tree, like the tall palm tree version, was available in Alola. So yeah. you'd have to have gotten an uh, Execute and raise it up to Executor to be able to use it. Yeah. Which... Well, you can just hit it with the Leaf Stone and it evolves instantly. Yeah, because there is no level requirement. I don't know about you guys, but there is some big controversy in my middle school about whether or not you should use stones to evolve Pokemon. It was because of that one episode of Pokemon. Exactly. I know. The yeah. cartoon like started to like inadvertently shame people who did it with that <laughs> Raichu Pikachu episode. Yeah. <laughs> like, believe in yourself. I like... I. This is episodes and episodes ago. I can't even remember which episode it was, but like the fact that like the Pokemon TV show created like this really emotionally impactful scene that was literally 45 seconds of Pikachu saying its own name over and over <laughs> again and arguing like in agony. Yeah, like no, it was like the reverse Rocky moment where he like got out of the bed and was like, "No, we're gonna fight." And you're like, "I don't know what he's actually saying. He's just saying Pika Pika P P P Pika 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 Pika." Yeah. Like, and again, now I long for Stallone voicing Detective Pikachu. We're going to have like a, re- a listener poll at some point for who we want to hear voice a Pokemon in the next movie and <laughs> what Pokemon you want to hear them voice. I thought it was weird in that episode, too, how the Raichu that demolished Pikachu like didn't have moves that were native to electric types. Because I remember the trainer using like use like power punch or like body slam. Oh yeah. And those are all like in the I mean, in the at least in the original blue game, you had to give them those attacks. Yeah. That there weren't any they're that TM came moves. that Yeah, yeah, they're TM moves. So it was like what is this like it almost like a roided out it was it's Rocky versus Drago. That's what it is. Uh, <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> and Raichu is Drago all like hopped up on these artificial uh you know steroids <laughs> and stuff to to defeat the more organic natural which is why it made it very controversial to use stones to evolve your pokemon oh yeah Mm. and i mean there's all kinds of other um weird logic jumps of the pokemon tv show that we have addressed before but thankfully at least not for this pokemon we don't have ash being a dumbass yet (laughs) we're getting there though that train is approaching the station friends it's always it's ever on the horizon coming around the bend (laughs) um but if we could uh move on across the uh, landscape to sure. our sad boy Pokemon of the day. Sad boys! And talk through the <laughs> just overall baffling nature of this Pokemon Jesus lore. Christ. Cubone. It's a ground type that you first encounter in the Pokemon Tower, which is important because its mother's dead. <laughs> as in, wow. in the ground. So that's why the typing happened. Because I was always confused as to why it isn't a normal type. <laughs> <laughs> You're basing it on the dead mom. That's it's wearing it's a, a fossil. It's wearing oh, a fossil. Well, yeah, that part makes sense to me. But so oh. yeah. So aside from the fact that it is wearing a literal fossil of its mother, like let's I don't know, like population uh, situations that we've actually encountered endangered Pokemon before this. Um, Farfetch'd is supposed to be, according to like the Pokemon mythology, it's supposed to be an endangered Pokemon. A Pokemon that can only survive and has only ever been seen wearing its own mother's face or skull. <laughs> That is that is a based on like population dynamics and all stuff. That Pokemon should not should go extinct within like two generations. Mm-hmm. Um, it should not be able to actually proliferate itself unless because like all of them have their faces covered. 
So I actually said in the notes that, like, I feel like it was kind of a mistake to have Farfetch'd be the endangered Pokemon that you had to trade for and could only get one of in the original game. Um, and even then, Farfetch'd was named Ducks with an X, um, if you recall. But uh, By the trainer who you trade it with. Yeah, but it made more sense for Cubone, especially given the lore and the sad story about, oh, its mom died and it's wearing its mom's skull. Well, and then in later Pokedexes, it says that its crying and wailing attracts its natural predator, Mandibuzz, which is a vulture Pokemon. Yeah. Uh, which I love that it's another instance where the Pokedex reference is basically which Pokemon eat each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're <laughs> running into more and more of those, especially in later Pokedex entries, but the... But the thing about this it's is that this a is a Pokemon. Of life. Yeah, no, this isn't a circle. This is just like a line. This is a line that ends in this Pokemon it going extinct. It moves us all, below. <laughs> it moves us all. I know you're all about the bare necessities. Yeah, you know what else was all. in the Lion King? A goddamn elephant graveyard, which is where this Pokemon and all its entire species would be <laughs> if it actually looked like this. It's a pretty goth Pokemon. Yeah, yeah, it's a pretty sad boy. It's got a playlist of Nine Inch Nails. Uh, <laughs> it'll be in the Cubone Sad Boy playlist. Will be in the show notes. <laughs> you have to make that now. It's called the Nine Inch Nails playlist. <laughs> I feel like it would be more like The Cure, considering like how sad he is over like the death of his mother. Um, you know, I feel like The Cure has too many happy songs, though, is the weird thing about The mm. Cure. All Go right, with okay. the shins. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think Cubone would like grow up and then sue a stripper for having a name of one of his songs. Actually, wait, <laughs> wait, what? Wait. Oh, you guys didn't hear that? One of the founding members of The Shins is suing an adult, an exotic dancer for having a name that's like based off one of their songs and he's upset because he named his daughter that and so he's taking her to court for her not to be able to dance under that name. Oh my god. <laughs> wow. I don't think that's in Cubone's character. I'm just saying. No. Wow. So I'm gonna say so I'm gonna say that Cubone opens the playlist with the shins, but it quickly moves into Montreal of Montreal, the fray. Uh, uh, no, of Montreal is too dancey. Like of Montreal, they have some like mellower really? stuff too. Yeah, I've, I always think Death of Cab, being... Death Cab's. Oh yeah, Death Cab, definitely. And Snow Patrol, lots of fucking. <laughs> mm-hmm. But only. So you're the thinking it's like more 2005 sad boy. I was trying to take him back to like 1980s goth sad boy, but you know. <laughs> he listens to Morrissey and then also is like, I don't want to know what Morrissey has to say oh, in the last yeah. 25 years. We, I think we just all ignore Morrissey post the 80s. <laughs> it's the only way we can listen to the Smiths. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'll close. I'll. Cl- close this one off by saying that this is another pokemon that definitely benefited from ditching its beta name its beta name was supposed to be orphan mm. yeah well i have two notes uh one i love this cameo in detective pikachu where tim's friend says hey you're a sad boy cubone's a sad boy you'd be great together <laughs> mm-hmm. uh and then i would like to rant for a moment blue go for it let's talk about the mother thing the dead mom thing like, it's a fucking Disney movie. Uh, I was thinking that, too. <laughs> so, this is some early installment weirdness stuff, where it seemed as though they still thought of Pokemon as individuals versus species. Like, if you said, here's a creature named Cubone, that is, there's only one thing, mm-hmm. it's called Cubone, mm. and it has its dead mother's skull. Like, okay, I could live with that. But it's a whole species that mm-hmm. wears its dead mother's skull. This makes no sense once you get to Gen 2 and you introduce breeding. So two because, years later. Yeah, exactly. Well, if you, you look have, at it like how they train dogs or like how certain dogs have their mm. tails severed, do they uh. just like murder the mom of coupons? Uh, well, <laughs> that's the thing. Like you can put a Pokemon into the daycare center where the breeding happens. You get an egg. A Cubone comes out wearing the skull. And then you can go back and get the mom. So either A, 
this is all some bullshit written by bored 12-year-olds who are Pokemon trainers. Mm-hmm. Or B, <laughs> which I think is even funnier and darker, the Pokemon uh, daycare center, the mom died giving birth to the Cubone, and they went and tried to find a same type, same moves Pokemon of the mother type. Uh, just so that the tr- you know, like when your goldfish dies and your parents tries to replace it while you're at summer camp, Oof, yeah, Stark. So yeah, like the mother thing is something that I just don't understand why they wrote in there and why it's still part of it because it just seems so. Because I know like, that the Pokemon Company is listening, I'm just going to tell you guys mm-hmm. right now: you have Pokemon Sword and Shield coming up. Just update the Pokedex and have it be that it is just a naturally occurring external carapace exoskeleton like a triceratops yeah i was thinking dinosaur yeah. we all want this to make more sense yeah. than it does well even like uh volibi which is the pre-evolved form of mandibuzz also a, like a vulture chick basically uh it's wearing bones but it's described as like the skull of a pokemon that was made that was uh part of the nest of the volibi like if you could somehow make it someone else's skull besides some other, I could maybe live with this. I feel like, especially in early Pokemon, design came first and backstory came later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Until we get to Kangaskhan. That's another <laughs> nonsensical yeah. piece of shit. So let's get to... So question about Cubone that to transition us into the next stage is, is Cubone's mom another Cubone or is Cubone's mom a Marowak? Seems like a tree falling in the woods and no one's around. There's a fan it. theory... That Cubone is the baby Kangaskhan oh, that then yeah. puts on the mama Kangaskhan's skull and goes off and becomes yeah, a Cubone. Yeah, if a mama Kangaskhan gets killed, I remember hearing that. Theory. Yeah, which, again, kind of makes sense up until the breeding thing came in. And then, yeah, but then the, uh, yeah, that would have been cool. That would have been a cool idea. Yeah. Um, still out there for them as an option. And then, you know, if it happens to evolve into a Marowak, it's because the mother's skull is a held item that it can evolve with. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, but Marowak, I really like the design of Marowak, and I kind of like the fact that like it does kind of reflect the uh, stages of grief, that you go from uh, sadness to anger. <laughs> <laughs> but it just ends on anger. There's no, yeah, no like there's reconciliation. No, the <laughs> They've accepted the anger, though. <laughs> and they're using it to inflict violence on others. It's like Magneto from <laughs> X-Men First Class. Like, you know, where like Xavier tells him, like the midpoint between anger and acceptance. That is where your powers are maximized. Like, what the fuck does that mean, dude? Like, <laughs> There's some self-rationalization going on. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I saw Magneto destroy Auschwitz. Yeah. Well, that was 20 was... years later, and he hadn't aged a day. Yep. Yeah, oh, yeah. Know. So that, that was another thing that somebody pointed out with Dark Phoenix, among, like, you know, a couple other slips that movie made, Boy. apparently. Um, that the fact that Magneto in that movie, according to the timeline established in first class, is supposed to be 67 years old. Yeah. And he's Michael Fassbender still. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, the leap from Fassbender to Ian McKellen is like, it doesn't quite add up yeah, there. Yeah, well, I no. think like, Dark Phoenix is taking place closer to the release of the first X Men movie than the present day. Yeah, that's yeah. true at that point. I mean, I get it that they're taking some liberties with like the fact that, like, yeah, I mean, in comics, characters are ageless, but they're very definitively move them, moving them through a historical timeline. Like, in terms of, like, the Vietnam War and all that sort of I thing. I think Magneto in the comics still, correct me if I'm wrong, still has the Holocaust origins, but they've added just, like, longevity. Like, he's got that Wolverine thing of not aging yeah. as quickly. And that's why he's so hard to kill. 
Yeah. So. I really Which, just blame Brian Singer. Oh, yeah. Fair. I, I feel like he was done with the X-Men franchise. He wanted to do Superman Returns. That didn't work out for him. They made X-Men First Class. That was Matthew Vaughn did a great job. That was a hit. And he decided to like shoehorn his way back into the franchise and try to bridge the gap with Days of Future Past. And then really didn't have a f- real end game inside. It was like, oh, that worked. Now we're going to make up like, what's the next big popular part of the X-Men franchise? Mm-hmm. Oh, Apocalypse. Let's do Apocalypse. What's that? didn't turn out well uh let's do the next thing that'll be phoenix and then everything and i love the one person that pointed out on twitter that like you know there are other x-men plot lines other than dark phoenix right (laughs) yeah yeah well Well, it was hard to know with the cartoon because i felt like i mean they did it well in the cartoon but i swear anytime i turned on that cartoon it was connected to the phoenix saga Hmm. it was so hard to watch episodes that that saga ran for yeah three exactly years, three seasons what is fascinating to me about the reviews of dark phoenix was how many film reviewers maybe this is because it's our generation who are now film reviewers how many professional like in the la times other major publications specifically cited that the dark phoenix saga had been done perfectly by the x-men cartoon like i've yeah. never seen that before huh. in a yeah. review of a superhero or other genre movie i, I think that's very true because most of the time when i was growing up most people who were introducing me into comics mm-hmm. did nothing but speak disparagingly of the state of stuff in the nineties. Mm-hmm. And so it has been interesting with like uh, stuff in dark Phoenix or even stuff in some of the Marvel movies, how much they're drawing upon like late eighties and nineties mm-hmm. storylines. And I think it really just speaks to the people who are of age making these things are closer to our age than the people who introduced us to the material. Cause they were, uh, you know, people who like love Spider-Man, uh, they were kind of into McFarlane and the stuff he was doing, but they were much more into like the stuff like Dicko and stuff and everything. Yeah. Well, I feel like the whole Venom movie is trying to connect with <laughs> Avia Rod's oh, obsession point. with the oh, character and, and McFarlane. So, too. I mean, that's a whole other can of worms who's here. Who's the crazy guy who's in charge of Superman over at DC or was for a while the producer? Oh, I don't know. I haven't followed... I, he also, I think, was running Batman for a bit and had the idea of having uh, the Batman soundtrack be all the love songs are Michael Jackson, all the Joker songs are Prince. Oh, oh, wasn't that John Peters, the producer? Yes, that sounds right. The, produce, the original producer of uh, Batman 89 and long held the Superman franchise up by being a producer. Yeah, he he's the reason, he's, he's the reason behind some of the weirdest decisions in Batman 89 because... Uh, apparently the whole the the original script for Batman '89, Happy 30th Birthday to that movie, had a whole <laughs> different third act. And because he and Jack Nicholson got really drunk and went and saw Andrew Lloyd Webber's Phantom of the Opera, they decided to rewrite the whole third act to take place in this cathedral thing. What? And it really speaks. I think the fact of like what Marvel has been kind of accused of doing of like poaching these up incoming indie directors and then making them at the whim of the machine. DC did it first by poaching Tim Burton who's sitting there <laughs> like what's happening to my movie? John Peters and Jack Nicholson have just rewritten the whole third act because they got drunk and saw an Andrew Lloyd Webber musical. <laughs> That's oh goddamn God. amazing. <laughs> Jerry, speaking of Andrew Lloyd Webber musicals, how do you feel about the upcoming Cats musical directed by your favorite director? Uh, <laughs> I mean, I feel like I'm morbidly curious to see how it all shakes out, and I plan to weep when it wins Best Hang Picture. On. I'm surprised <laughs> that you went with that segue when you could have gone with, speaking of Jack Nicholson, yes, oh, did you yeah. know that Idris Elba based his performance on an impression of Jack Nicholson? Yeah. Every detail about that movie sounds like it's an escalating dare. 
Mm, so I've been actually sitting on this transition for a little while since you mentioned the X-Men movie and like the repeating cycles. It reminds me of James Marston, who throughout, who like, he's played a sad boy. And he went along with Brian Singer when Brian Singer jumped ship from the X-Men yeah, uh-huh. franchise to the Superman Returns franchise that you mentioned. And James Marston was locked in this cycle for about 10 years of playing like the hapless good guy that just always comes up short. Yeah. Loses like, the girl to a cooler Cyclops. character. He was, you know, Lois Lane's cuck in <laughs> wow. Superman Returns. Wow. That and was the character breakdown. <laughs> he literally he literally raised Superman's child yeah. for him. <laughs> and then Superman he, the deadbeat dad. Yeah, Superman the deadbeat dad and James Marsden the unknown like Lois Lane also party to this, like Look, straight there, up. There was a time when I would defend that movie because I did really like it, but I'm not going to defend anything Brian Singer does at this point. But yeah, in my but life. then James Marston even <laughs> continued that. What's his name? Who played Lex Luthor? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but James Marston even continued that whole streak into um, Westworld yeah. most recently, but he finally broke the cycle and went against that type. And that it's almost like he's been playing like poker for the past, like. 10 years of his career to lead up to this moment where he played a character in um, a very underrated series, in my opinion, Dead to Me. Have you guys seen this? Yes, because mm-hmm. Meg worked on it. Wow. Props to Meg. Shout out to Meg, as my annual uh, weekly tradition goes. Annual weekly. Annual weekly. <laughs> and uh, yeah, no, great show. And Marsden, I don't want to spoil anything, but Marsden definitely plays against that uh, that schlubby sh- type. He gets um, some range on there. Well, yeah. I don't think he's ever been schlubby. He's been hunky but sad boy, I think is the... He's somehow never been good enough. Yeah. Yeah. The boy Which who's sh- a little bit too yeah. safe. I mean, that was always Cyclops' the, thing. Yeah. Uh, he's the Ralph Bellamy type, if we're going to use, like, 1930s Hollywood cinema reference. Because mm. Ralph Bellamy was the one who would always lose the girl to Cary Grant. But, yeah. The bad boy. Yeah. 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 And then you have Linda Cardellini in that in that series as well. Tie us back to Jeremy Renner, he who plays his <laughs> wife in the Avengers series yeah. and him and his music career. Um, so let's get back to uh, Marowak. Marowak, who has, a, <laughs> who has a very cool Alolan dual type that we haven't touched on yet. Oh, Darling. yeah, we'll get to that. Alolan Marowak is ghost slash fire, and it is awesome. Whoa, that is yeah. awesome. Looks like something I would fight in a Hyrule temple. You're right. Yeah, I, kind of, I kind of referenced it in the Farfetch'd episode um, where I said that I would like to have a variation of Farfetch that who had his little leak on fire. And he and Marowak would hang out. Um, and yeah, so I just think it's such a cool... Like, first off, it's a very cool typing because we have, like, other fire ghosts ideas in actual mythology, like Will-O-Wisps and things like mm. that. And we got a couple in Pokemon as well. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, to add that to the dual typing and to give Marowak such a cool, like, fire twirler aspect to its design, I just thought was brilliant especially because the pokemon's own lore oh. is tied around death yeah uh the sun pokedex entry on the alolan form says the bones it possesses were once its mother's its mother's regrets have become like a vengeful spirit protecting this pokemon you could write a whole horror movie about this pokemon oh yeah uh yeah. it's also part the alolan form is also partially based on the hawaiian legend of night marchers ghosts of ancient warriors who do exactly what their name suggests marshadow one of the mythic pokemon of the alolan region is also based on the night marchers and we'll get to that in about four years so when you say that they're that they do exactly what their name suggests they march at night yeah they don't kill at night no, but they they're still pretty march. creepy. They're like an army of the dead. But they only march. They don't kill. Do they have a destination in mind? They're not night raiders, just... not night 
seizures, not night like swarmers. They just march. They're trying to make a statement, but they're not trying to get in trouble with their mom. Yeah. But stand tall. Yeah. <laughs> well, their protest. mom, who is also dead. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Right. This is the last Alolan variant, guys. Well, done with the Alolan types, I think. So I guess that's the first real podcast milestone that we have here. We've gotten through all the Alolan variants in the uh, first generation. Um, we're still a few months away from, well, three months away from finishing up Gen 1 yeah. in terms of the Pokedex. But well, but Alolan types or Alolan variants were only in the first gen. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, this is our last one. So Maybe hey. they'll add some for the Galar region. Maybe there will be Galar variants, but who knows? So let's move on to another, not our first fighting types, but, you know, two prominent a pair of fighting types that eventually get linked as a family. Mm. But for now, at least in the first generation, when we're first coming across them, they are separate, independent Pokemon, Hitmonlee and Hitmonchan. But I think we should just talk about them interchangeably. Yeah. Um, uh, they're both fighting types. And here's where it gets interesting. This is one of those cases where the game gives you a choice. You have to beat the fighting dojo in Saffron City, an unofficial mm-hmm. Pokemon gym. Uh, and you can either get as your prize Hitmonlee or Hitmonchan. You can't get both. You only get one. So choose wisely. And I mean, there were a couple choices like that, where not only did they have the limited Pokemon availability in the wild in the first generation, but they also had these choices, like the fossils, like Eevee evolutions, and now Mm -hmm. this. The starter? Yeah, that forced you to have to make choices that would eventually, you know, kind of... Do you remember what you chose, each of you? I always went Hitmonlee. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I can't recall now. Like, I never really used that one. I mean, I wasn't a fighting type user, but I'm a huge fan of Bruce Lee and uh, and kung fu films growing up. That yeah, Hitmonlee was just automatically my guy. I think I chose Hitmonchan, which is weird now because it would make sense because I made a boxing movie. Yeah. <laughs> 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 you went for like the Street Fighter Two Balrog looking motherfucker. Well, like, that's a, I always saw Hitmonchan as like Balrog and Hitmonlee as like Vega. But the Lee is right in the name. I immediately went for Bruce Lee, especially because Bruce Lee, Hitmonlee was the kicker. Well, between Vega the two. or Dalshim. Dal- Sheen was the one with the like extendy limbs. I think I saw it as him. I think it was the eyes uh, and the face uh, and like the yeah, the like mask, the, 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 the masky face. face okay. and, I see where and everything. I see and I, I for some reason I always felt like I don't know like I like Balrog more than uh, Vega as a character. I think that's also why I picked him on because Vega I only felt like was useful if you were on his stage where you could climb up onto the fence mm-hmm. and use mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I felt like there was there was a level of pride that went into beating someone with Balrog. Like <laughs> I only used my fists. Wait, only <laughs> certain characters in Street Fighter Two could do the climb up, right? Wasn't that only limited? Vega? He's the oh, only, only one. Really? Vega. Because I thought, that was I his Blanca stage. Could too. Really? Huh. I thought there was a thing where they were the only two characters. I might be wrong. I, ne- I never discovered that Easter egg, if that's true. I, th- I had no idea about the climbing thing at all. Like, Street Fighter is a game I'm horrible at, but I love all the characters. Uh, they're great characters. I know Vega, because when you fight him, his character climbs the fence and mm. uses it to his advantage. Okay. And so when you, I think it was Street Fighter 2 Turbo, when you could finally unlock and play, because those four characters, Balrog, Vega, Saga, and M. Bison, mm-hmm. you couldn't play in the original Street Fighter. Yeah, they were bosses. You had, but in Street Fighter like 2 Turbo, Turbo yeah. you mm-hmm. could, and then when you selected Vega, if you were on the Spanish stage, or Spain, because that's where yeah, Vega's character is from, mm-hmm. you could use the fence uh, as part of your move. You couldn't use it as extensively as the computer used it, but mm-hmm. you could still use it in your favor. Yeah. We all know the story about how their names got switched around, right? No. So, in the original Japanese release, the dictator was Vega. The masked blade guy was Balrog. And the boxer was M. Bison. But Capcom USA said, we don't want to risk Mike Tyson suing us 
for Mike Bison. So oh. they made M. Bison the dictator, Vega the mask guy, and Balrog the boxer. Interesting. Wow. You know, I just want a little bit of a outside of the podcast note. Michael Darling recently hosted a bad movie night where we watched the Street Fighter movie. And I'm very sad I missed that. <laughs> I was extremely not sober for this, but I did. I do stand by the conclusion that it's actually right up there alongside RoboCop in terms of like a camp satire of a genre and like movie concept. What were they satirizing in street fighter? The movie, <laughs> our concept of what a video game movie should be. <laughs> yeah. I'm not, wasn't like the second or third video game movie to ever be in existence. All or? right. I'll try to watch it again. Sober. <laughs> <laughs> I want you, I want to challenge our listeners to watch that movie. Like enjoy a nice bad movie night. It's fun to make fun of if nothing else, but I challenge you guys to find something in that movie that is bad. Other than John Claude Van Damme. <laughs> <laughs> really, Re- really try. Ken and Ryu were pretty bad. They were doing the best they could. They were the dumbest characters in that movie. Aside from oh, they Zangief. Were great, they were great hustlers. They were just doing Zangief. the best they could. Oh, man. Yeah, I... Zangief is stupid as hell in that movie. I remember that mo- that game always being dated because they announced Zangief from being oh, yeah. from the USSR, but that was like after the formation of the Russian Federation. Yeah, it came out right after the USSR broke up. Yeah, yeah. And but they, was, like, they, Capcom did not bother to update it. What is it? Like... He talks to Gorbachev's hologram head. Is that right? Oh, man. I think so. But Hitmonlee, the, uh, by your terms, Vega, the, by my terms, uh, Dalshim-type Pokemon. And by mine, the Bruce Lee-type Pokemon. Because, hang on, let, me, with let, the name. let me just bring it back to Bruce Lee trivia for a moment. Uh, Hitmonlee is the... Between the two Pokemon, you had this dualism of like Hitmonlee being the kicker, Hitmonchan being the puncher because of the boxing gloves and the whole boxing style. Hitmonlee... Not only because of the name implication with the Lee, but also because Bruce Lee's most famous trivia is the fact that he is has such fast kick speed. They actually had to ask him to slow down his kick speed to be able to be captured on film. Like wow. he could outkick camera speed at the time. See, Kung Fu movies are one of, I would say, a weird blind spot in that. So my dad is obsessed with Kung Fu movies mm-hmm. and hmm. watches them all of the time to oh, wow. this day. Like he used to go before Netflix and Amazon, he would go to the 99 cent store and buy from the bargain bin, any Kung Fu movies they have and just watch them. Oh, yeah. So like they're always been on in the background in my life. And he has always been a huge Bruce Lee fan. There's like, I think he's had like a photo of Bruce Lee up before. Um, one of his cousins got into Kung Fu in the late uh, 70s and 80s because mm-hmm. of Bruce Lee. But in terms of me actually sitting down and watching those movies, it hasn't happened just because they were so peripheral huh. to my growing up. So I really need to do a deep dive on Kung Fu I movies. I mean, I'll tell you this because, like, so much of this – I know you're into, like, you know, the classic Clint Eastwood westerns and yeah. stuff like mm-hmm. that. Like, so much of that is inspired by that genre of film. And, I mean, everybody brings up the fact that, like, Kurosawa – inspired so many classic westerns and stuff like that but there's also so much storytelling and character conflict development pacing that is developed in you know how we talk about the fact that like the action timing for an action movie these days is like so paced out where you have like this action sequence at 15 minutes Mm -hmm. this thing this thing and then like it's all pretty much scienced out Mm. kung fu films Kung Fu films absolutely have, like, that same structure, but they just have, like, the narrative pacing down in terms Mm -hmm. of, like, you know, the young pupil returns to find his master has died and in his grief gets in a fight in the marketplace and then he comes back. It's responsible for so many inspirations of, like, pacing for action movies because back Hmm. before we had, like, true CGI and stuff like that and before 
sci-fi became a way to tell an action story with brilliant special effects and all that people with martial arts training and like that sort of thing was the way to do it back in the 60s oh and i think people forget how huge those movies were and how much of an impact i mean i talk about my dad watching them and stuff my dad immigrated from mexico and he was 17 years old and like when when his cousin got into kung fu and everything it's like (laughs) to think about a mexican immigrant saw bruce lee movies and decided i'm going to take classes in kung fu because i want to be like that guy and like how excited my dad and like his relatives were to like go check out Mm -hmm. like my uh his cousin's like training and like tournaments and stuff like that so much so that i remember my second cousin would like brag to me like my dad has a black belt and i was like damn like and i mean i was definitely (laughs) that kid too because for whatever reason my family same deal family Mm -hmm. from trinidad i have multiple black belts Mm -hmm. that i'm related to who like still compete at like state and regional levels even in their like 40s and 50s what's wild to me is that hitmonlee makes sense the other one is hitmonchan okay which like jackie chan amazing performer but not a boxer yeah i've never (laughs) thought of him as a boxer like he's a great performer a great martial arts star and what's interesting is you're talking about the kung fu film Chan brought in something new to it where he had, like, a dose of comedy as well. Because, mm-hmm. like, Police Story, fantastic movie, yeah. has, like, some sequences that are just pure jokes. And him, like, there's that sequence where he's trying to answer five different ringing phone calls. And yeah. he gets tied up by the knots. Like, he's always described two of his major influences as Gene Kelly, a dancer, and Buster Keaton, a physical comedian. Mm-hmm. But that translates to a lot of. I'm more familiar with Jackie Chan movies because I think that those mo- like his popularity was like around the same time I mm-hmm. was yeah. becoming a teenager and taking interest. Like Rumble in the Bronx, I remember yep. that the marketing campaign for that movie being everywhere and mm-hmm. seeing those kind of things. So I think he had this unique ability to use uh, the martial arts and the comedic uh, kind of flourishes in what he was doing to to reach people in a different way. Um, I'm letting you guys go on before I burst your bubble and tell you the very simple reason why Hitman Chan is named after Jackie Chan. It is because he is a boxer and because one of Jackie Chan's classic pre-American cinema run movies is about him being a drunken boxer. Oh, Drunken Master. There you go. It's a uh, classic. It's on oh, Netflix. Oh, yeah. Drunken Master. I remember Drunken seeing Master's that movie, fantastic. actually, at like uh, some weird middle school birthday party mm-hmm. where we stayed up till like 2 in the morning, so I barely remember nice. the movie. But... Uh, it felt like it was a get because of how rare it was to find mm-hmm. at the time. Well, like, Drunken Master is based on an actual, like, quote-unquote, drunken fighting style. Yeah, so it's based on a somewhat mythic drunken fighting okay. style. I don't know if it's an actual martial art that's, like, re- truly taught and practiced and all that. But there is a folk tale that they more or less adapted and developed for this, where it's kind of uh, inspired well, by the story of a drunken student. Who that's could, funny, because like, in, was it Mortal Kombat Annihilation? You could, <laughs> when you could cycle through different fighting styles, Drunken Master was one of them, and then your character went from this like very rigid, performative mm-hmm. stance to like flailing all over nice. the place. Well, it was um, Tekken that had the one cop that fought in Drunken Master style. Huh. Uh, was that a Jackie Chan reference too? Because you got Police Story so and you Drunken had, Master. Yeah, so, <laughs> so it actually was the cop character. Yeah, he yeah. Was, uh, his name was like Lei or something like that. So there were two Asian martial arts characters of note. One of them was Law, who was very much the Bruce Lee guy, and that was my dude back in the day. And then, uh, and then you had this other guy Lei, who was impossible to learn how to play with. Um, the Tekken fighting series very underrated in my opinion. As far like I feel like all the hype is for Street Fighter these days, but Tekken really did a good job of like distinguishing fighting styles back in the time where it was all like 
down right punch. And well, I think Tekken was the first really good 3D fighter. Mm. Yeah. I think that in the 16-bit era, like Mortal Kombat and Street Fighter kind of dominated, mm-hmm. and Tekken was the first one to take it into this new realm where like Street Fighter struggled in that 3D realm. And I think yeah. so did Mortal Kombat. Street Fighter yeah. decided like, no, we're going to stay in 2D and that's when they yeah, had their they, own yeah. resurgence. It worked for that, yeah. yeah. Like Even when they did Street Fighter X Tekken that was in 2D, they're still theoretically doing Tekken X Street Fighter which would be 3D, but that's been vaporware for the last like half decade yeah. at least. Mm-hmm. I was going to say Street Fighter has their own Bruce Lee type Fei Long, who like you look mm. at him, and you go, yeah, that's Bruce Lee. Well, even yeah. Liu Kang and oh yeah, and mm. uh, Mortal Kombat has it. Mm. I, you know, it's funny. I never noticed how much of an impact Bruce Lee would even have on the gaming community yeah. as far and as Pokemon, Street Fighter, Street Fighter, and everything like yeah. that. Mortal Kombat. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about a guy who, for years after his death, they tried to do the same thing like counterfeit toys do with like power station men and stuff like that <laughs> like you have those like cheap knockoff toys like they had Spider-Man. cheap knockoff yeah they had cheap knockoff bruce lee's where it was like bruce lee with lee spelled l-i that is not a joke mm, wow. they tried to make like they tried to complete uh pre-production bruce lee projects with other actors under yeah because that's like, what game of death names. was all yeah, like half of that is actual Bruce Lee, half of that is Bruce Lee, quote unquote. Yeah, and that's mm-hmm. where those. I mean, Bruce Lee is responsible for one of the two most infamous movies with that case. Um, the other Pink Panther movie, where what's his name, Peter Sellers passed away before they yes. finished it, and so they had to. Like, I think they'd barely even started by the time Peter Sellers uh, was in filming. So they had like a significant portion of that movie with in- Inspector Clouseau's face obscured by bandages. Mm. But yeah, the Bruce Lee replacement in uh, Game of Death, and then a couple other movies where they actually just like tried to well, get away with homonyms. One of my favorite examples of that phenomenon is the Imaginarium of Doctor Panassis, mm-hmm. the 2009, I want to yeah, say, sounds- Terry Gilliam movie, where Hugh Jackman is one of the stars, and he died mid-production. Hugh Jackman's alive. You're talking about Heath Ledger. God damn it! <laughs> <laughs> like when did Wolverine die? <laughs> Jerry, yeah. I've got some breaking news for you. <laughs> Uh, Heath Ledger was one of the stars, and he died mid-production. Mm-hmm. But the crazy thing of timing was that he died after having filmed all the scenes that take place in the quote-unquote real world. Mm. And there were scenes that take place inside this other dimension. So they were able to bring in some other actors like Colin Farrell, Johnny Depp, and uh, I want to say Jude Law. Jude Law. Yeah, that's uh, right. To that's play right. him after he goes through the mirror. That's right. Well. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see what um, the rise of Skywalker does with Carrie Fisher yeah. as being the next. I mean, we film. saw her in the trailer definitively, so they kind of yeah. gave you that trigger warning of like, nope. No, no, but like from, from my understanding, she doesn't. They, she's in the movie, and it's all utilizing footage that was shot from Force Awakens and the Last Jedi. Yeah, oh, okay. that so was it might not just used. Be a flashback or something, but there's yeah. some indication that there might be a scene One or two. One of the shots in the, in the trailer was a shot that we had never seen before. Yeah, that was, was her stuff, in the woods. Like. That was from Force Awakens, apparently. Okay, just never. It was not used during production. Well, during the actual movie. And it's probably some VFX compositing where they had Daisy Ridley hug a stand-in, and then they spliced in the footage oh, okay. of Carrie Fisher from Force Awakens. Well, Daisy Ridley apparently has a story about that hug, so that's a real Carrie Fisher moment there. But not for Rise of Skywalker, because she was yeah, dead was, by the time. It was time for they... Force Awakens. But yeah, I'm saying yeah. like that scene of them hugging is, is from, real. Yeah, is from production of Force Awakens. So maybe they add the trees later. Well, that, well I'm so saying that what they we'll probably see. could have we'll done see. is a v- VFX composite of Daisy Ridley now. Because what's crazy is mm. you look at, especially Daisy Ridley and John yes. Boyega, mm-hmm. they have actually really aged 
from yeah. each of the movies because there's like some some side by side comparisons like here's Rey in Force Awakens and here's Rey in the Rise of Skywalker mm-hmm. trailer and it's like oh damn she looks substantially like older well, like she's only twenty three right yeah yeah and yeah. Boyega is pretty young too yeah. when he uh, did that movie. So, while we're on the subject of Star Wars, you made me think of Ryan Johnson, who's, as of time of recording, his trailer for his upcoming film, Knives Out, came out Mm -hmm. today. And Mm -hmm. I have a theory about this movie that I just want to share for the record, and I want listeners to sound off and come at me and argue with me about this one on Twitter. But I believe, based on the trailer that I saw, have you guys watched the trailer? Yes. Yes. I think that we're getting one of those fake-out things in the trailer, and Daniel Craig is going to die in the first 20 minutes of the movie. Oh, you think he's the Drew Barrymore? Huh. Yeah, you know, like I, think it's a, I think it's like a Brian Cranston type of fake out, like based on the fact that like he appears at least visually in what I can say are four different scenes. He's in the opening in the daytime where he's telling where like everybody's talking about the birthday and all that sort of thing in that like kind of daytime parlor room. He's sniffing a carpet, which I assume is right after that scene where he starts doing the investigation. He gets insulted by Chris Evans, which, again, I assume is same timing. Chris Evans has just left the meeting from the parlor room and is insulting him and calling him KFC detective or whatever. CSI KFC. There you go. Eat shit. Um, and then As there's also only says. one other scene that we see him in, and it's where he's having like the cliche detective moment where he gathers them all by the fire and says, you are all suspects. <laughs> and if they're saying that this is a whodunit that has never been done before – Guess what? The detective declaring everybody is a suspect is a cliche that we've seen before, and they're ob- I think it's just ripe for them to shoot Daniel Craig in the head <laughs> and have Lakeith Stanfield take over the investigation oh. from there, because Lakeith Stanfield is very clearly a detective also. He's a part of like law enforcement in that scene that we the one line we hear him say as well, but we don't see him for the rest of the trailer. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. And I'd he's a that. big name yeah. at this point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's too big a name to have with just Atlanta drop one and to bother you. Yeah, I think it's a fake out. Personally, okay. I'm down for that. I just like that Daniel Craig is now doing increasingly ridiculous Southern accents in every movie he makes. I don't get it, and it's so grating. I really <laughs> hope I don't have to listen to more than 20 minutes of it. That's the other part of this theory. <laughs> is it like more? Is your theory based more upon wishful thinking of like? <laughs> yeah, I'm honestly <laughs> not going to see it opening weekend until somebody can spoil for me if I'm right about my theory. And if I can hear that I don't have to listen to more than 20 minutes of that accent, then yes, I'm absolutely buying a ticket for like a Sunday matinee. <laughs> uh, shout out to Tony Collette though. She looks um, love seeing her. Oh yeah, stuff. Blue. We haven't talked about Ash Ketchum in a while. No, we haven't. You want to field this one? Oh, yeah. I've got a couple more things to field as far as, like, <laughs> things that kind of, like, make me terrified of Pokemon. Um, first thing is the fact that, like, so I mentioned, like, variational kind of reinterpretations of, like, a type um, with the psychics. Um, with the fighting types that we're talking about today, we have martial arts type of, like, very movie type things. Um, so we have, like, Bruce Lee and Hitmonlee. We have a very Rocky-inspired Pokemon and Hitmonchan. And if we look back to a Pokemon we've already covered, we have a Hulk Hogan saying Dookie in Primeape. <laughs> so we have uh, so Ash's uh, Primeape uh, fought against a Hitmonlee and Hitmonchan in in the fighting oh, tournament. Oh, I saw that episode. And that's what resulted in him eventually giving that Primeape away. Because when it won the tournament, he realized, oh, this guy who trained my Primeape through this tournament <laughs> actually trains Pokemon. Let me leave this Let me leave this guy with that dude. Um, and, yeah, that's an instance of uh, Team Rocket. Let me just double check it. Team Rocket actually uh, stole a Pokemon to be able to f- compete in this. And they won. And, of course, Ash managed to beat them because Ash just somehow does every Fails single up. time. <laughs> yeah. 
But the other thing that I want to bring up is something that we've addressed before in the Polyrath episode, which is Pokemon with clothing. Jesus Christ. Is this a part of its body, or is it somehow evolving <laughs> actual, like, clothing? I want to point out, like, so far the clothing problem has only been with fighting types, basically. Yeah. Because like, we had... Are they the only Pokemon that sweat? <laughs> so I'm gonna so I'm gonna make every single guest that is unfortunate enough to come on for a Pokemon that has clothing and ask this question. Jerry, what do you think is under Hitmonchan's gloves? What if I were to pull Hitmonchan's gloves off? Do you think there would be hands under there? Or do you think I'm peeling off skin that is shaped like a glove? I'm a big fan of David Cronenberg and body horror, so I'm gonna say they're his actual hands, and you're gonna be tearing off his skin. All be like tearing off a fingernail, exactly. James Woods is underneath those gloves. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm picturing, like, Donald Gleason and Ex Machina, like that scene oh. in... There's an Onion article that that reminds me of, and I'm sure it's inspired by that scene from Ex Machina where it says, like, science has found that using a razor blade to cut open your forearm is still the best way to prove whether you're a human or an android <laughs> if you're having I mean, an existential mean, Arnold crisis. did it first. Uh. Yeah, Terminator 2, just the... When he uh, oh cuts God, open yeah. his yeah. arm and just rips mm. the skin off in front of what's his name Miles something oh yeah, I yeah the, the guy the designer behind. Skynet yeah yeah, yeah. All right. God I hate Pokemon that wear clothes it's just a bad look and it doesn't make any it's like Cubone's skull I would really like to see a Hitmonchan wearing the same outfit as Carl Weathers does in Rocky Three though yes like the crop top showing the midriff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the one note I have to add here is the Japanese name for these two Pokemon. Uh, so Hitmonlee is Sawamular, a reference to kickboxer Tadashi, Tadashi Sawamura. And then Hitmonchan is Ebiwalar, a reference to Japanese boxer Hiroyuki Ebinhara. That's really interesting that they, the Japanese names decided to forego these, like, global icons and make them much more regional. Yeah. Because Jackie Chan's pretty, like, and, and Bruce Lee are global names. Oh, yeah. But they were, that was for the import of the game. So let's uh, bring it home to the last Pokemon of the day. The one that should be the baby dinosaur. Mm-hmm. Lickitung. This is a, norm- a normal type, and you first encounter it very interestingly through a trade. It's only available in red and blue through an in-game trade for a Slowbro. Uh, for the record, the Lickitung's name is Mark. With a C. Which always felt like the kind of like more pretentious version of Mark, although... I have a really good friend named Mark with a C. Although yeah. I should say, yeah, my cousin-in-law is named Mark, so I hope he's listening to this and just know that you are the exception to the rule on that name. Hey, my Mark is the exception to the rule. <laughs> and any of my Marks that are listening as well. I mean, I feel like it's short for Marcus. No, his isn't. It's oh, his, well. na- his name is literally just Mark. Well, I think my friend's name is just Mark, too. There's okay. no Mark. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. I have no answers. So I remember this being like a point of discussion with Darling leading up to like Detective Pikachu. I don't think we talked about it much on the podcast, but... You weren't a fan of, like, the preview look. No, Lickitung was one of the few that I liked. I oh, thought okay. it was properly, like, there was no way to make a Lickitung that would look in real life that wouldn't look terrifying. So mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. one, I saw it in the trailer, and unlike the rest of them, I was like, yes, no, that's perfect. Go on with that. That's weird and creepy and perfect. I love Lickitung, so I was very happy with that in the trailer, and then as well as the movie itself. Yeah, yeah and I thought that, Overall, they used it really well as far as, like, a very quick establishment of just, like, the real-world-building biology of Pokemon in this world. That these aren't just cartoons. These are—they have adapted them into the real world of having a real sense of biology. Because when he licks uh, Justice Smith, there's all the saliva. Mm. And then, you know, also establishing, like, a means of norms and etiquette 
in the world really quickly where Justice Smith's response isn't to like punch the Lickitung or because Lickitung is big enough to be punched. Let's face it. It's it's We're in that nice range. <laughs> it's in that nice range that I've talked about before, especially on the last There's episode. There's a punchable range. It's punchable range. Three feet taller, taller. Yeah, it's 311. Yeah. Must it's tongue be... is somewhere between six and eight feet long. Yeah. Must be at least three feet, feet tall to punch. Oh. Um, yeah, <laughs> we'll get back to the tongue length in a second, but like, yeah, so Lickitung establishes a set of norms really quickly in the Pokemon universe where he doesn't try to punch it. He immediately starts looking up and down the train saying, whose Lickitung is this? <laughs> so that very quickly communicates like, oh, this isn't some like wandering creature and it isn't like the creature has a job. It's clearly somebody's pet companion that is not being properly cared for. And how often does that happen that like you're at the park and sometimes, yeah. There is a dog that's just kind of that their owner just let it run around and it comes over and takes a piss on your pant leg. Hmm. <laughs> it's like that scene in one of the Pink Panthers where it's, I thought you said your dog does not bite. That's not my dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Apparently the Pokemon company did not care for the saliva gag, but eventually allowed it. <laughs> that was the studio note. I'm going to allow it. So I do want to touch on like the real world biology. Um, so chameleons, real world lizards, their tongues are twice the length of their bodies so for a three foot to four foot tall lickitung to have a tongue that is six to eight feet long actually extremely reasonable we're not deal we have not come across anything as unreasonable as arcanine <laughs> running 2600 miles <laughs> i mean hitmonchan apparently can punch faster than a bullet train so um yeah okay we'll allow that i mean we have we've it still doesn't surpass diglett being able to submerge in the ground at the speed of light i always felt like diglett was the worst pokemon but i'm just it's not on yeah, this episode yeah, fair fair i allow it that is a pokemon mr hanky looking thing. <laughs> <I think. laughs> it's gonna be tough for my mom to supersede this and I, she listens to these episodes i'll say that flat out but um she like the lovely Flintstones Doug Trio Mon Mom God, was just was my favorite. <laughs> but yeah, so let's uh so here we come back to uh beta name um that I want to draw attention to. It was originally named Tongue Tide, which who was that song Don't Leave Me Tongue Tied? Oh, Group Love. There you go, Group Love, yeah. I love that song. Mm. I wish Lake of Tongue's name was Group Love. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you can catch, if you one catch one with that name. tongue? Yeah. Yeah. Hey. Tinder Ladies. Bio. <laughs> <laughs> there was like a thing always reminded me of like this school of Pokemon characters that or creatures that I felt like could have also been Sanrio characters, mm-hmm. and huh. I felt like well because Sanrio was really popular around the same time that Pokemon came out for me too, and so uh, that one had overlap where it was like more cutesy in its kind of uh, appearance. I mean, I felt like Pikachu could have also been a Sanrio Definitely. character. The execute that that one would have stayed on the shelf for a while. Uh, <laughs> Hello Kitty would not hang with Execute. No, no. <laughs> yeah. But as we uh, kind of talk about it, like, I am generally a fan of this Pokemon. I mean, I think that it has, like, this really cool Wonderland logic design of, like, oh, hey, if you have this, like, tall Pokemon that has, like, a real-world characteristic that, as I mentioned, we see in the real world, it has a tongue that is twice the length of its body, and it has to be four feet tall. It's stocky. It's kind of like, it looks like a bit of a bruiser, but then they also do this kind of like weird twist on it where they make it pink and like cuddly looking, but also still manage to give it just enough of an attitude in the way it's like kind of like puffed up chest like. And that's why Michael's got those beady eyes, which are also. Yeah, it just looks like a bruiser. It looks Mm -hmm. like hired muscle. It doesn't look like. I think it's, I love it. I love it. It's like creepy, cute in the best possible way. Like, this is the ideal Pokemon. 
Yeah, so we have an ongoing Facebook message thread where we share memes and other ideas and thoughts and things like that. And, and Michael Darling's favorite response to something that he's generally indisposed towards is an angry-looking lick-a-tongue. I mean, I wouldn't <laughs> say angry. I'd say more indifferent. Like, the lick-a-tongue does not have its tongue out. It's just staring blankly at you. And this will be included in the show notes because I'm sending it to Baloo right now. Let's close off on lick-a-tongue and start to move into the uh, closing sections because mm. I've, I've expressed my fervor for this Pokemon. I'm a fan. But, gentlemen, any other closing thoughts? Oh thoughts on it yes the best mini game in pokemon stadium was one called sushi go round i believe it's the title oh God. where you were you remember this one yeah <laughs> yeah you played as one of four lickitungs and you were trying to oh, eat the most that's... sushi but also oh. trying to not, not get the super spicy or the super sour ones because those would knock you out and cause you to make a very weird noise that blue will splice in there we go. That gave me... Uh, I think yeah. I only rented that game for a weekend, and I remember playing that. And the mini games were the best part, honestly. Yeah, I, overall, I was kind of disappointed in that game, because I was like, oh my god, it's Pokemon for the N64, and then I was like, I'd rather play this on my Game Boy. There's yeah. way more story, way more customization yeah. going on here. You got to see your Pokemon in 3D, which was a cool thing, but the mini games were where it was really at. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Sushi Go Round with Lickitungs, eating sushi off of plates in a circle, as a Japanese man yelled at you from off screen about what type of sushi was coming in. Yeah, I'm thinking of a float sushi here, and I don't know how many places have this. I know the like kind of rotating sushi bar is like a thing that's kind of widespread now. There's one. There's a really cool one in Little Tokyo on right at the entrance to the mall and mm. Second Street. Um, it usually has a crazy ass weight, but mm. you can play games and win Yu-Gi-Oh plastic toys if you play your cards mm. right. Your Yu-Gi-Oh cards. But okay, have we talked enough about the Pokemon as they exist in the game? I love Lickitung. That's all I have to say. All right, well, let's talk about how we might change Lickitung or any of the other Pokemon. You don't change Lickitung. He's perfect. I don't know. Welcome to Mon Mods. Okay, so darling, why don't you lead us off then? What would you change? Just the whole Cubone mythology. Okay. And also maybe give Hitmonchan to fewer design elements. Like, the Hitmonlee design is perfect. Hitmonchan has too much going on. Especially with, like, that... Remember, you've probably seen the terrible Japanese uh, red and green sprite for Hitmonchan, Mm -hmm. where it's hiding behind the boxing gloves, and you can kind of see the eyes, and it looks like a bird? You know what I actually thought, because because we've been talking about Kung Fu films, and I'm thinking about the one of the characters from Kung Fu Hustle, which I think is a very underrated satire Mm, of the Kung Fu film genre. Stephen Chow? Yeah. So the character that does the hard style boxing with the iron rings around his arms, I'm thinking because you have Hitmon Lee's design having like the leg warmers for his kicking style being his focus. What if Hitmon Chan, instead of being a boxer with the, you know, the boxing tunic, which felt very weirdly Roman, Greco Roman style <laughs> to me, um, what if we replace the gloves and the Greco-Roman tunic, tunic <laughs> to just making him like a very kung fu style, like punching style, like give him rings around his arms the same way Hitman mm. Lee has the rings around. I his like legs. the boxing mythology though, but I yeah. like boxing movies. And... What would you change, and how would you change it? Uh, I think with execute, man, like just make a firm decision. Come down in the egg camp, or come down in the seed <laughs> camp, and like let's just be done with it. You know, it's just like too unsettling. Uh, I think it's clearly. Looking at its evolution chain, it should be a seed. Let's mm. just do that or make use of the yoke. I don't know. It's it's just weird. So make use of the yoke in terms of like it has a move. Eliminate like... it is what oh, I mean okay. by make use. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so 
So I made sure I mentioned Lickitung's beta name, Tongue Tied, because I think they should actually lean into it. So the way they spell the beta name is Tied is spelled with a T-Y-D, which doesn't make sense to me because if you're trying to go with like Tongue Tied, like why not just commit to the pun that you're going for and just T-I-E-D? But instead, I want them to change, give a Lickitung variation that spells it T-I-D-E. So make it a water type and give me a Lickitung that like causes like all of its water moves with the saliva that we see it has all over God, Justice Smith's face. Slobber Pokemon. Yeah, so it's mm -hmm. a slobber water. Um, and I just think, you know, having a, you know, sort of bubblegum blue version of Lickitung would be great because huh. the shiny's already gold, so you could distinguish it that way. Yeah. Um, and I just it's already bubblegum pink anyway. And it already has like a very lizard aspect, so just make it a little bit more amphibious, like, hmm. you know, like a, you know, newt or something like that. Yeah. Give it like a little bit more of a water type. Like mm. Sopple. Yeah, there you go. Bingo. Mm -hmm. So that's my Mon Mod. Which also has a tongue now that I think about it. Like yeah. a big tongue. Yeah. It does. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's a, that's the most efficient Mon Mods I think we've ever had. So since we've already talked about how we changed the Pokemon in their world, let's talk about them in our world. Welcome to Mon's world. A celebration of the harmony between humans and Pokemon. Okay, so we've talked about this and we've touched on this in previous episodes, but I'm just going to get this out of the way. We would have a Pokemon UFC in our world. The Hitmons would be fighting in it. Um, you know, they'd probably be in their own weight class because I feel like Primeape kind of outweighs them, so hmm. they wouldn't be able to... Yeah, they seem pretty light and nimble, these Hitmon Lee Hitmon. Yeah, yeah, but I think they'd be more interesting to watch. I mean, Boxer versus mm -hmm. Kickboxer is what mixed martial arts was designed to be, so... I'd really like to see Jean-Claude Van Damme do a remake of Kickboxer with Hitmonlee and Hitmonchan. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Hitmon Van Damme. Oh, <laughs> yeah. That's the un yet to be uncovered third evolution. <laughs> There's one more rim shot that just happened there. Oh, I mean, that's more just like, I think that would have been a better name because Van Damme is the guy who does I feel like splits. you added one too many syllables to it. I feel like it should have just been Hitmon Dam. <laughs> Hitmon Dam. Yeah, I, uh, so my only other thing would be Cubone would be super popular at animal shelters because of its cryboy nature, but Marowak would kind of be the pit bulls of our world where like because of because they're noted as being more aggressive than cubone after having gotten over their sadness and moved into like the anger stage of grief um they would be misunderstood like pit bulls and but you'd have a bunch of people like you know standing them and saying like no they're just misunderstood once they're properly loved and taken care of they're just as obedient as any other pokemon but that's that's the only really that's those are the only really thoughts that jumped out to me as what these guys would be doing i don't know where the fuck like a tongue would be in the real world jerry taster yeah maybe. I, I don't know like what do you do with a tongue <laughs> a porn star i mean oh. it's very <laughs> <laughs> I mean, people would definitely be referencing Lickitung in their Tinder bios. I love that that's become like a semi-running joke. Like, how do you, like, make Pokemon illusions in a Tinder bio in a world <laughs> of Pokemon? Like, <sighs> yeah. I, the best thing I can think of is in uh, the first Pokemon card for Lickitung in the Jungle Expansion, we see it extending its tongue to grab some bananas from the top of a tree. So, like, maybe, assuming it doesn't eat the thing... It could be useful for like getting cats out of trees or eating or like removing bananas from trees, like you know, basically anything you'd need a cherry picker for. Do Pokemon eat? I'm sorry, if, like I, I mean, know, we're like... assuming that in this segment, especially like in Mon's world, they are actual animals, so they okay. do have to eat. They do have to be fed. That's why I'm saying like they could be, end up in animal shelters as pets. As you know, Mandibuzz apparently torment Cubone, so 
I'm assuming that means they eat Cubone. I feel like Execute would just be somewhere in the desert spiting everybody. Like, <laughs> fucking <laughs> off in the grass. Yeah, yeah. I think it would be like, I think it would be honestly like, there would be warnings about Execute and Executor in the desert of like people tripping on peyote if you go to Joshua Tree. Like, please make sure you have a trip sitter so that you don't get ambushed by fucking Executor. <laughs> Or they... maybe you, maybe if we move into Mon Appetit. Maybe you'd like my personal crack medicine. Mm-hmm. Surprise. This is always my favorite section, so Mr. Darling, please. Yeah, you just do a line of execute to get tripped out in the woods. Like, that's my drug usage. I also think you could make a fortune selling executor milk and water, like coconut milk and water. I mean, I will say that the way I know that, like, certain very resourceful smokers will make a to-go bong out of an apple or any other type of fruit, I feel like that'd be pretty dope with an executor head. <laughs> Even a Q-bone thing, getting high out of that skull, his mom's skull, like, that would a be cubong? a bong Yeah, a Q-bong. I, like, I feel like that's, like, the most villainous thing, and I really, I dare the Pokemon company to allow this for a future Pokemon Universe movie after oh Detective Pikachu. Have somebody drinking wine out of a Q-bone skull. Just go for the hard R reboot. Yeah. <laughs> PG-13. I just want to make a trilogy now of films where the first one's rated PG, the second's PG-13, and the third one's R. (laughs) We've talked about it before on this podcast, but the Cornetto trilogy, like the fact that it's a series of comedies exploring satires of different genres, I feel like that's kind of the template for like how different extended universes should approach their extended universes. And that's why the dark universe is not really a thing, because they're just trying to be a dark universe. But the MCU... My favorite Twitter account. Uh... Shout out to Jeremy Monjo on Twitter who has said that in 2043 you'll be able to fish off of the rooftops in Miami and still make a tweet like, hey, remember the Dark Universe? And <laughs> know you'll get like a couple thousand likes as long as no one's done it in the last couple of months. Yeah, I'm thinking about the MCU like tail end of phase two, tip phase three, kind of hitting its stride again, kind of enjoying a rejuvenation and the fact that like they started to realize like, oh, Rather than just being superhero movies as a genre, let's have genres within superhero movies. Mm. So let's have a spy thriller. Let's have an espionage thriller. Let's have a supernatural magic story. And then let's have a heist comedy. Yeah, Um, I feel like this was my personal perspective is that like, well, after Jaws and Star Wars in the 80s, it was like, let's take all these things that were B movies and give them A-level budgets. So like, mm-hmm. let's make stuff that would have been relegated to schlock, but make them give them the multi-million yeah. dollar Hollywood treatment. And in the 90s, was kind of like elevating that even more of trying to mishmash those genres, mishmash those genres with mixed results. Mm-hmm. So for example, you could say like Armageddon really tried to do like melodrama and mm-hmm. sci-fi and disaster movie versus even like something like Roland Emmerich and like Dean Devlin's their whole career of Independence Day and the Godzilla remake were like alien movie and monster movie but it's also like a family drama because there's Jeff Goldblum and his wacky dad and Will Smith and his stripper girlfriend you know uh, and again the results were very mixed that and movie turns 25 this year I had the Jeff Goldblum and Will Smith action figures from that movie thank you very much <laughs> I think I had uh, I had Jeff Goldblum in multiple action figure form Jurassic Park and Independence Day god Jeff Goldblum <laughs> like speaking god. back to my theory about the Daniel Craig fake out in Knives Out trailer um jeff goldblum another case the jurassic park movie recently 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, he was only in, what, like five minutes of that huh. movie? And they put him in the trailer. Like, but he was so prominently in the trailer. I know, hmm. I know. They're just trying to hit those nostalgia buttons to well, get it's you in there to see. How many scenes can you really distinguish this person is in, and can you clearly, firmly state that they extend past the first act of the movie? Yeah, I mean, that one it was pretty clear. Like, okay, all the scenes we have are him testifying to some committee. Like, mm-hmm. okay, this one's a cameo. It's like what they did with John Hammond for the Lost World trailer. Or like Angelina hmm. Jolie and Sky Captain of the World of Tomorrow. Damn, there's a deep pull. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like, though, it's not the first time we've mentioned it on the pod. No, it's definitely the second time. It was a call- That's a callback. I saw that movie in theaters. Thank you very much. <laughs> so, Jerry, what would you eat and how would you eat it? Uh, I really think I'd have to go back to Executor. I mean, I'm okay. a huge fan of Coconut. And so I feel like there's a lot of possibilities there. Mm-hmm. Executor, uh, Milk Latte. I'd uh, be down with, you know, pouring some executor milk over uh, my cereal would be another way to start. I, I Although I'm a little sketched out by It would be vegan-friendly except that executor yeah, are Yeah, is it vegan-friendly because it's their head? We talked about this in the first episode, um, whether or not eating Bulbasaur or any grass-type Pokemon would be technically vegetarian. And I think we came down on the fact that because they clearly are sentient, it's not vegetarian. So, no. But... It does still sound delicious. Um, <laughs> execute, executor sprinkled donut. <laughs> oh my yeah. god! Like you shave the executor, <laughs> like coconut executor. shavings. Yeah. yeah. Wow! I'm so glad we're done with this Pokemon because I never want to say its name again. <laughs> I will find a way to bring it up on future episodes and force you to. <laughs> Fuck you! Now I know I have a gambit for <sighs> darling on future episodes. But <sighs> to close off the way, since you guys both covered Screw the your uh, gambit, Monchery. Since you guys both covered the Executor Coconut Pokemon for me, um, I'm actually going to go with my original note, which is Lickitung uh, in the Detective Pikachu production was described to uh, the production company as having a marshmallow texture of a body. (laughs) So I'm just going to lean further into that. I just want to believe it's like the fluffy marshmallow Pokemon. And like an Executor Lickitung I want like Lickitung s'mores. I want like Lickitung sweet potatoes for Thanksgiving. And yeah, that's what I'm going with. I'm going with like just a lickitung, sweet and savory type of like evening meal. Um, and that's my mon appetit. Is that a step up or a step below using like horse hooves or horse joints for real marshmallows? Um, I think they get used more in like gummy type of like. Oh, that's right. It's more of a gelatin. Yeah. yeah. But I do love gummy bears. So that brings us home for the day. Jerry, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Where can people find you? How can they follow you and see what you're working on? And do you have anything you want to promote? Yeah. Wow. I mean, I mean, I just rambled on about Pokemon and random movies, but uh, I'm Jerry Marvia on Twitter and Instagram, and uh, I don't know. I'm, wor- I'm a filmmaker working on some projects. Most recently, on a rewrite of a horror thriller film called The Halloween Club. So if you like uh, horror movies or Halloween stuff, uh, you can go ahead and check that out. Or if you just like random weird movie articles and other maybe Simpsons memes and, and things that I post online. Baloo and my, I feel like you guys can tell Michael, you guys can, darling can tell me more of what I post. So, so for those uh, that do want to follow Jerry on Twitter, Jerry Marvia is spelled with a G E R R Y Maravia is spelled M A R A V I double L two L's a, um, we'll include a link to his Twitter in the show notes. Um, I actually was lucky enough to be able to write a preview of the Halloween Club, the current feature-length horror movie that he's working on. I'll include a link to my article on that in the show notes as well. Oh, oh, and maybe a link to my short uh, boxing film, Cross, because it 
Hitmonchan connection. There you go. <laughs> we can include that too. Oh, yeah. so Shameless be a plug. There'll be a link to that fantastic film. I have not reviewed that, unfortunately, but I'm reviewing it right now. here. It's good. Michael, where can people find and follow you? You can find me at Future Hasbin on Twitter. And more importantly, you can find the Mon Men podcast on Twitter at Mon Men Pod. Any other work or things like that you want to plug for yourself? No. Not that I want to share here. Ominous. You can follow me at Y underscore Baloo. Uh, that's W-H-Y underscore Baloo, B-A-L-L-O. Follow me there. Check out my uh, website. I've got various uh, writing projects going on at optionalirony.com and other stuff coming up as well. But that being said, Jerry, thank you so much for coming on. Well, thank you, Jerry. And so as usual, I am Yanata Blue. I was Michael, darling. Thanks for being here. She put the lime in the coconut, she drink a bowl up. She put the lime in the coconut, she drink a bowl up. Put the lime in the coconut, she drink a bowl up. Put the lime in the coconut, she called the doctor, woke him up and said, Doctor, is there nothing I could take? I said, Doctor, to relieve this belly, it does. Doctor, is there nothing I could take? I said, Doctor, to relieve this belly, it does. Let me get this straight. Put the lime in the coconut, you drink a bowl up. Put the lime in the coconut, you drink a bowl up. You put the lime in the coconut, you drink a bowl up. Put the lime in the coconut, you call the doctor, woke him up. Say, doctor.